think Josh is smelling the tacos. <laughs> I am too. Hey everybody, good afternoon, thanks for coming. I, uh, I'm really hoping today would be a really enriching time for you, spiritually. Um, I'm going to introduce you to uh, God's divine family. I know I've been talking a little about the supernatural and the unseen world that we don't see, but God sees and God made. And my goal is to strengthen your faith into the, what, the Bible, what the Bible teaches. And it's important for us to understand these deep spiritual truths because the New Testament writers got their material from the Old Testament. How many of you here prefer the New Testament over the Old Testament? How many of you read the New? Like that's all you read. How many read the Old? Is the Old a little bit like, whoa, what is that? What's that mean? Or what, why is that there? So when you look at the Old Testament, it's a little bit odd and different. It's, it's really supernatural, but you're going like, what is that sometimes? Today my goal is to strengthen, to enrich your, hopefully it'll encourage you to uh, go deeper in your Bibles, but I wanted to at least go deeper with you. Uh, some of the feedback I got uh, about a year and a half ago was to, was to provide more uh, deeper spiritual food for the church. And so I responded. I started to, to sit at the feet of scholars, their writings, and really invest my t a lot of time and a lot of hours understanding better what the Bible teaches. God made a divine family and he also made a human family. We're the human family, but he also made a divine family. So I'm going to introduce them to you today. Um, so here's my goal. Uh, as Paul wrote in Colossians 2, it's a very great uh, passage, is that you may be encouraged in your heart and united in love so that the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, because it was a mystery to the prophets of what God was going to reveal. It was a mystery to the spiritual forces of darkness of what God was doing in Jesus to reverse the curse of the Garden of Eden and also to rescue us from our own depravity. In, all, in whom all hid, hid him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. The more you dive into the Bible, the more clear you can see God at work, and the more clearly your faith develops. Last time I was up here, I talked about, and may have shocked you, um, I did this lesson three times. I did it in the Antelope Valley Church, I've done it in the Simi Church, and I did it here in Shoreline. And the Tower of Babel, and what the deeper meaning of was that, that God had, had, had uh, divorced the nations and gave them lesser gods to govern. And Psalm 82 gives us the results of that decision by God. It did not go well. And then the nations versus the Israelites, it was God versus the gods. I'm going to kind of peel back the curtain and give you a little bit more of an understanding because... The Word of God was inspired in Hebrew. It was not inspired in English. And sometimes when you read your English Bible, it, it obscures what the Hebrew is, is saying. It, it's just because there's a language difference, and that happens sometimes. So I want to get into a little bit about the Old Testament customs and literature of its day, uh, the belief of its day, the culture of its day. It's important that we look at the Bible in its own context. You know, we have a context. We have science. 
We, we live in a very material world. We see things. We, see, we look and see the stars. We don't, we don't think of a heavenly being. We think of a gas ball. We think, of, oh yeah, there's plenty of those. We know about the elliptical orbit. We know about asteroids. We know about falling star, stars or little asteroid chunks. We know all these things in our frame of mind. The Israelites in the ancient of days, they had no clue what that was. But God still worked and gave them timeless truths of how to live their life and how to bring the Messiah and how to save mankind from the, the, the death which was caused by the Garden of Eden. Paul... His material that he understood, he was a Pharisee, he was a Hebrew, his dad was a Pharisee, he knew his Bible, and he knew the Old Testament. When I say the Bible, he knew his Old Testament, because Paul is, is a major writer of the New Testament, and his material source comes from the Old Testament. So when he writes about Jesus, for in him all things were created, things in heaven, God's divine family, and on earth, that's you, the earthly family, visible, I see Steve and I see Jake, and they're invisible, things that you and I do not see. And then he says, thrones and powers. You know, when you read Daniel 10, there's a scripture that says, you know, God, uh, uh, many, many thrones were, uh, were, 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 um, put in a room, and God took his seat among the council. Paul, he, dialed, he speaks into that. The thrones and the powers and the rulers and the authorities. In God's family, there's order. In God's family, as we're going to see, there's a dynastic family that has a hierarchy. We're going to look at that family today. All these things were created through him and for him. It's important that we understand when we look at our Bible, we look at, we look at it like an ancient Israelite. It's, it's a supernatural context. It's so far removed because we watch this stuff on TV. It's in movies. But it's real life. But yet we're far removed because it's a fiction. So, who is God? What is God? God is a spirit. God is not like us. He doesn't have a human figure. It li there's, there's, there's three of them up there. There's this, there's, this, Yahweh, there's this invisible one. There's one that's referred to in the Old Testament as the Son of Man. And then there's the Holy Spirit of God. God is a spirit. So when, you when we read our Bibles in these passages, I want to I point out something. When you look at the word Lord in your Bible, in the Hebrew, it's a proper name. It's God's personal name. And his personal name is Yahweh. That's his name. We call him God. In the Hebrew Bible, it says Yahweh. He spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. Then another passage in, in Isaiah, the Egyptians are mere mortals and not God, El. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. So I have a question. What was there before God made the world? Sorry. What was there before God made the world? What do you think? Before God make, made, made earth and made us, what was there? Any, any, any takers? What do you think was there? I, I don't think we can comprehend what there was. Okay. Okay, so maybe some, un, un, unknowable, maybe. Okay, anybody else? No, when God was there, before God made the earth. Before day one in Genesis. Before day one in Genesis. Darkness, okay. 
I'm going to answer that question because it's an important question to ask. Before we get in there, I have to explain a few terms when you look at your Bible. In the Hebrew, the word for God and the word for gods is a term called Elohim. It's often used for God, but the term is not exclusively for God. And the term doesn't, re not, doesn't refer to unique attributes. It's just, it's just a category of this spirit is in the unseen world. So the Hebrew writers called it Elohim. Sometimes it refers to God. Sometimes it refers to a created being. Sometimes it refers to a disembodied spirit, meaning it has no physical form. Someone has died and their spirit is referred to as an Elohim. We see that in Genesis 1 where God, God Yahweh Elohim makes the earth. Abraham's covenant in Genesis 17, it says Yahweh Elohim. And Exodus 2 says, you shall have no other Elohim before me. You shall have no other gods before me. That's important because th these are real beings. They're not, it's not like it, it, God's comparing himself to nothing. God's always can being compared to other Elohim. So it's important that that term you understand. When we see the word God, we instinctively think attributes. All-knowing, omnipresent, omnipotence. But when you, when you read the Hebrew Elohim, it doesn't necessarily refer to that. God has a personal name, and his proper name is Yahweh. And he's different than the other Elohim. God is an Elohim, but he's different than the rest of the Elohim. All Elohim are spirits or spiritual beings whose domain is the spiritual world, the invisible world that we never think of, but they are working in our lives for us and against us. All disembodied inhabitants of the spiritual world are by definition Elohim. Since Elohim is a term used to identify spirit beings, and there's a few passages there that God makes the angels spirits, God is a spirit, and there are demonic spirits that work against you. One of the things that the Garden of Eden did with Adam, it unleashed depravity. One of the sins of the angels in Genesis 6 unleashed depravity. This is why God gave us the Mosaic Law to curb our depravity, to curb our propensity. That's why the New Testament says to repent of your sin because it curbs the propensity of being depraved. Think about your life without God, without the Bible. Think about where your life was headed to depravity. So God is trying to rescue humanity. But understanding his intent is important. So there are, there are other Elohim, and there we call small case gods in your Bible. Psalm 82 is a good example of that. So let me give you an example of, of a disembodied spirit. King Saul is in trouble. He's been disobeying Samuel and God for a long time. And so he's in trouble, and David is going to be the new king, and he's fighting the, the Philistines, and he's just in a heap of trouble. And so he, he's on the run, and Samuel had just died, and he goes and sees a, a medium, a spiritist. They, the Bible refers to as, a, as the witch of Endor. And the witch, what would they would do is they would dig a hole in the ground, and they would do it, uh, magic incantations, and they would speak into the underworld the spiritual worlds and so king saul knows this 
they were not allowed to do this in Israel because it was a mortal sin. If you got caught doing this, you would be killed. So Saul sees this witch of Endor. She's very scared. She's like, she's troubled. I could die if I do this. And so here's the passage. Bring up Samuel. Samuel's dead, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why do you deceive me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure. In the Hebrew, it's Elohim. Coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He's an old man wearing a robe. And lo and behold, it was Samuel. And and God, he still uses Samuel. He tells Saul, what are you doing? Why would you wake me? Your reign is over. And just shortly after that, Saul goes into battle and he's killed along with his son, Jonathan. Just an example of the word Elohim in the Bible. It's not always referring to God. It refers to a disembodied spirit. Samuel died. He has a spirit. You will die. I'll have a spirit. Hopefully that spirit ends up in heaven. Amen. This is the account in Genesis 2. I'm going to give you another passage where it uses now the the proper name of God and Elohim. So as we read our Bible, when you look, when you start keying into some of these words, you'll see who it's referring to. The account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord, that's the word Yahweh, because the English translators decided to use Lord instead of Yahweh, when the Lord God, Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. You know, in the Bible, God has a lot of different names. He goes by, sometimes they call him El Shaddai, sometimes they call him El Elyon, the Most High, Lord God Almighty. They'll call him Adonai, which means Master. So, it's an, it, I, I like to look behind the, behind the English to give me an idea of who the writer is referring to. He's referring that God, Yahweh, made the earth. He's species unique. Out of all the Elohim, He is the only one that can create things. Who among the gods, who among the Elohim is like you, Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? This is the song of Moses and Miriam. In the Hebrew song, there's, there's both Elohim, the gods, and Yahweh, and yet they're referring to two different beings. Because in God's divine family, there are other Elohim, and they have different job descriptions, and their job is to support God and carry out His will on earth as it is in heaven. That's their job. In 1 Kings chapter 8, another passage where Yahweh Elohim of Israel, there is no other or no Elohim like you in heaven above or on the earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your ways. The biblical writers assigned unique qualities to Yahweh. There are many Elohim, but no Elohim is like Yahweh. So this is the world of the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers. They're very cognizant of what's happening. Now another scripture in in, uh, Jeremiah 32, 
Ah, Sovereign Lord, Yahweh, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and Your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for You. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all Elohim. Psalm 95, verse 3. You know, when I, when I first discovered this, it was like a watershed moment where like, there are, what is, you know, I used to think, honestly, honestly, as a minister, oh, those are just made up little things they say about God. He is, they just say that because there's really nothing there. I believed that for, for many years. And I was absolutely wrong. They're there. They're real. But God made them. But why did He make them? Why would God create other Elohim? Why would He make other spirits? In Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, in, uh, in Exodus 20. Again, just to, just to kind of give you, this is peppered throughout the entire Old Testament. So it's not just one obscure, obscure scripture. This is the theme. And Paul picks it up in the New Testament. It says, you shall have no other gods before me, other spiritual beings. And this is what the Israelites did. This was their fatal mistake as they entered the promised land. They were in the bad habit of not just worshiping God, but they'd stop in and they worship other Elohim. That's why God was so irritated and so angry. This is why when God says, don't marry foreign women, because they'll lead you astray and you'll worship other Elohim, other gods. And that's what um, King Solomon did. He married foreign women. And the kingdom broke in two and it was scattered because of other Elohim. And they were the rebel Elohim. They were not working in accordance with God. In Deuteronomy 10, it says again, for the Lord your God is the God of the gods. Right now you're probably thinking, is God Zeus? No, he's not Zeus. But in the New Testament, in Rome, they shared the same worldview. They, they knew about other gods. But the real God was hidden. He was un, that's why Paul uses, hey, there's an unknown, unknown altar here. So Paul's trying to take their worldview and say, yeah, there's a lot of God. Yeah, but there's one that your poets even says is the one that made it all. And that's what Paul's argument is in Acts 17. He's trying to share, because they share the same worldview and how they see the world, that there is a great God that's being hidden from people. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, because he warns the disciples, when you eat food from sacrifice, hey, you better be careful, because you might be worshiping a demon. That's what it says in the Greek. For although there may be, may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords authorities powers rulers thrones yet for us there's one god for us there's one father for whom all things and for whom all we exist one lord jesus christ through whom all things and through whom we exist just think about Paul for a moment there. This is the New Testament. This is not the Old. But Paul knows his Old Testament. And Paul is telling the Christians, he's warning them, be careful that you don't accidentally worship a demon because the food you eat that's sacrificed to an idol is connected to a spiritual being. Be careful. Be careful when you pick up your horoscope. Be careful when you want to know your future by any other means besides prayer and trust. Be careful. Don't put the stock in your zodiac sign or your symbol or what you think might, who you are. You better be careful. 
because it's scary out there. <laughs> and when I realized this, I went in my backyard at night and I stood there scared. I told God, I don't want to see the unseen world because it seems so frightening to me. I don't want to see it. Protect me from it. Because I know there are spiritual beings that don't have my best interest and your best. In fact, they want to obscure and hide God from you. They like to work in our fellowship. There's the, there's the spirit of, 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 you should be offended by that brother. You should be offended by that sister. And that's where it starts. They want us to rip apart the family of God because they know their end is coming. In Nehemiah 6, this is another attribute of God. You alone are the Lord, your Yahweh. You made the heavens, the, even the highest heavens, and all the starry hosts. That's a key word. Because I used to believe that oh, they were just stars. They're spiritual beings. And he knows them each by name. And all that it's on, it is on, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Question, who are the multitudes of heaven? Who are these people that are in the Bible? Well, there are two types I know of, and there's many more, but I'm going I'm to talk about these two types. Spirits that God made that have a function. They have a title. We know these guys as B'nai Elohim in the Hebrew, they are the sons of God. You might be familiar with them if you read Genesis 6. You'll be familiar with them in Paul when he writes about rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. These are these guys. They're big boys. There's also another spirit being that's called, his job function is to deliver messages. Michael, Gabriel, um, they're called, we know them as angels, messengers. And they're there. Who are these? They have authority. They, they, uh, they sit in God's council, these sons of God. What are they doing? What's their function? When I asked you what, 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 was, what existed before earth existed, here's the answer. Before God laid the foundation of the earth, in verse 7, the morning stars sang together, and all the English version says angels, but the Hebrew says, sons of God shouted for joy. There was a spiritual family witnessing God making the earth, and they were like, yeah! Sons of God were pumped! They were fired up! But if you know the Old Testament, they weren't fired up for long because some of them didn't like mankind. Some of them didn't like you. And so they rebelled. But they were first, they were cheering on. Before the earth was ever made, before anything was, was created, there was a spiritual family that God had and they were there and they were witnesses of creation. Isn't that amazing? I never knew that. Because the ancient people 
when they looked up in the sky and they saw stars, they knew that was spiritual beings. They understood that. Again, that's the worldview of the Bible. And we have to try to match our, our mind into their world so we can understand what the writers are trying to tell us. There's a supernatural world. And then there's this, 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 this scene of, of a divine council. Elohim presides in the great assembly and he renders judgment among the Elohim. There's this court, there's this congregation, there's this assembly. And in this assembly, they praise your wonders, Yahweh, your faithfulness to, in the assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies above can compare with Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like Lord God Almighty? God has an administration. God has a council. In Daniel it says they opened the books and the court took its seat. And later on we know the divine council decides what to do with King Ahab who's a rotten Israelite, Israelite king. And they give God options on how to dispose of Ahab. There's a nice, nice biblical scene there. But there's this divine counsel that God with his, with his counsel shows up. You know where he shows up? Whenever God calls a prophet, the counsel comes with him. In Ezekiel chapter 1, you see the wheels and the cherubim all floating around the throne. God brings his counsel to the prophets. Jeremiah. God brings his counsel to the prophets. One of the complaints of the true prophets with the false prophets is they would say, did you stand in the counsel of God when he asked you to speak? Because Jeremiah knows that in order to be a true prophet of God, you have to stand before the council. Did you know in the New Testament, Jesus is going to bring you, 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 and me before the council. And he's going to introduce you in the council in Hebrews. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to sing. He's going to say, this is Geo. This is Geo, everybody. Geo! That's what he's going to do. He's going to introduce you to that council. Because that council doesn't break up when the New Testament happens. It's still there. A function to support God's will in the cosmos and on earth. Let me give you a chart. You can see this. God's family. It's a hierarchy. The scholars have known this. You have God at the top. And he made spiritual beings. He made these sons of God that have a high authority. They, they rule nations. They oversee nations in Daniel 10. You know, when, the, when Michael's fighting against the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, their rulers, their authorities, their function is they, they're in charge of nations. And in Daniel, they help God decide what to do with Babylon and, and Greece and all these things. They're helping God determine what do we do because it's affecting God's people. How are we going to handle these nations? Those are the sons of God. Those are the sons of God. God's in Genesis 6. That First Peter talks about and Jude 6 talks about. They're rulers. Underneath them are heavenly hosts. They have different functions. They have different jobs. You know, we have a head usher. We got a count team. We got family group leaders. 
Think about our structure of our church. God has a structure in the heavens. And these heavenly hosts are angels. They deliver messages. Mary, you are going to bear the Lord of Lords. The watchers, they are the ones that kind of see how man, what mankind are doing. <laughs> There's one heavenly host called Satan. Not the Satan that you know, but he's, he's the prosecutor. His job is to go back and forth throughout the earth and to see who's obeying and who's good. And he reports to God, God, this guy Mike Dorner, he's pretty solid. Oh, there's that guy over there. Geo Garces needs to get better. And then the council debates because the prosecutor says, why are you showing favoritism? God, His job is to push back on God. That's his job. He's in Job 1. He's not the devil. That's the divine council having a meeting about, hey, can you accept that good thing, bad things happen to good people? Can that be accepted? There are other ones called ministers. They minister to you. They minister to me. They minister to the church. They minister everywhere. I don't see them, and if I saw them, I'd probably be scared. <laughs> there are ones called hosts or mighty ones. Their functions are they're like soldiers and warriors. There's, there's, there's uh, other ones called mediators. These are all in the Bible. These are all bi biblical things that are in the Bible. There's the cherubim. What do they do? They guard God's throne. They guard things. Remember the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve got pushed out? Guess who stood guard, at the, who, who stood guard to let no one in? It was cherubim. And they had a flaming sword. Guess who was in the cherubim that deceived Eve? It was a cherubim that deceived Eve to eat the, to eat the fruit. They're there. Together, this is the family of God that I want to introduce to you. Because when you read your Bible and you live your life, know that you are not alone. Their job is to support you, to be with us, to spread the gospel, to make Jesus known, to go to your relational world and have an impact. They're your support team. That's their function. And they're fighting off all the bad guys while we're spreading the gospel with the good seed. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Think of God's family like your family. When we step out of our roles, we invite chaos. When the sons of God stepped out of their role and left their elected places, they brought